Welcome back to another episode of Mostly Ghostly with myself, Matthew Fisher, and my co-host, Ray Booten. How you doing over there, Ray Booten? Pretty good. How about you? Doing pretty good. Uh, we just entered into the the hallowed season. Um, you know, uh, October is officially here. This is our first episode of October. So, uh, you know, happy October to everybody out there listening. Um, we got uh, we got a couple episodes for you in this one that you might like, and we might even have a little uh, Mick Gigantor mashup episode, maybe uh, towards the end of the month. Uh, something else falls on the end of the month this year that you know some people could tie to the spooky, the paranormal, the weird, the strange, the unknown um, things that go bump in the night. So, with that being that, how could we not make a big a big, uh, big festivity out of the whole deal. Ray, when was the last time you went trick-or-treating? Oh, let's see. On purpose or by mistake? Um, <laughs> well, I know that actually, the kids and kids, actually, yeah. Actually, the last time I went was, uh... Oh, it's got to be, let's see, he's up, I don't, good, 16, 17 years ago with my grandson. That was it, huh? Uh, yep, that was the last time I actually went out there, going with him, uh, trick-or-treating. Yeah. I, by mistake one time, scared the crap out of a bunch of trick-or-treaters. But that was, that was an innocent mistake. Well, you know, they all they all all in, all mistakes are innocent, don't you think? Well, I was going to a uh, a Halloween party, and I spent about two hours putting makeup on, and not wanting to buy a mask. Mm-hmm. And I basically back then I did not have a beard, so what I did was um, I put the makeup on, which included fake skin peeling off and blood gushing out and a whole bunch of gruesome things on my face and then I remembered oh shit we got don't have anything to bring to the party now I lived a couple of blocks away from a liquor store so instead of driving and this was Halloween night I decided oh I'll just walk over there and get some yeah. not a good thing to do with that makeup on in the dark and a bunch of kids trick-or-treating <laughs> I wasn't even thinking just ran out of the house and they started screaming as they went down the street, kind of liquor store, didn't love it either. But uh, I said, okay, won't do that again. Mm-hmm. Nope, not, nope, 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 sorry. Traumatized a bunch of kids. I traumatized my brother once. Uh, it wasn't Halloween, though, so we won't go there. Um, so, you know, what would you remember any of the people that you dressed up as? Were you, uh, were you uh, a kid that would dress up as, you know, the Universal Monsters, or were you more kind of a cute and cuddly thing? I remember one time it was Zorro. Ah. Uh, another time, it, another time it was Frankenstein. Uh, kind of just did kind of ghoulish things for the most part. Not really heavy into uh, a lot of what you get in a in a uh, costume store. Rather just try and slap some stuff on and make it look gruesome and go that way. Yeah. Even when I was even when I was little. Yeah, I think I think Dick Cheney was the most gruesome thing I've ever dressed up as. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, as a, as a kid, I was always a ninja. You know, I was Bert and Ernie. I was Alf one year. Um, I always wanted to be one of those kids that got to be Freddy Krueger or something foul, but that was never really in the cards for your boy here. Um, my mom didn't like that stuff. My mom was very anti-horror and anything gory or scary. And, uh, yeah, that was no go. So, yeah, I ended up playing a lot. I played a pumpkin once, which was made up of me wearing an orange, an or I believe it was an orange trash bag with leaves in it with, you know, and then me inside the middle. So it was plumped up. I remember doing that, um, it's funny, I remember I didn't have a, a costume once because I was being a little shit, and the costume my mom got me, I, like, refused to wear it, and, um, so I had no costume at the, at, at for school, and they, the, the, one of the ladies said, you should be the, the, what I would later find out to be the, like, the unknown comic, and I just went, I walked around school in the Halloween parade with a bag over my head, so... Thus, the story of Matthew Fisher begins. And that's how I'm going out with a bag on my head. You know what I mean? Too dark, too dark. Too dark, too sad for Halloween. Uh-huh. No, it's not even sad. It's beautiful. It's a great thing. But I was hoping you were going to say something along the lines of maybe a vampire or a Dracula, Count Dracul himself. Um... Because today's episode, folks, we're, we're jumping into, you know, one of those things that when pe- you're talking about paranormal and supernatural, when people bring it up, they almost make you go, huh? It's like when you bring up Bigfoot a little bit and people give you that look because it's been so, you know, glamorized in, 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 in pop culture, in the books and in the, the pictures, uh, you know... And, Ray, do you want to tell the people what we're going to be talking about today? Different types of vampires. Woo! And there is a many, you know. The whole deal came from uh, Dracul, right? Uh, yeah, Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. yeah. And uh, his, his whole deal was, you know, he was just a dude that was gangster, ruthless, um, you know, Killing ain't no thing. Killing, uh, if killing was his business, business was good, I think, is the way to say that. And uh, one of his scare tactics was he'd put his enemy, you know, enemies or people that go against him's head, heads out on pikes in front of his castle, right? That was him. Uh, well, actually, his favorite thing. As well uh, as other things, yeah. One of, one of his favorites, uh, and he got the nickname Vlad the Impaler, was that he would take the take somebody, an enemy, yeah. and impale them. Basically, you can guess where they stuck it in until it came out the head of the mouth. Yikes. The whole body. And then just leave the body there. And it was very effective because oh, the yeah. Moors and different people at the time were trying to invade that territory. And he was considered a hero because... Uh, he was totally ruthless. He would do that, and it would. Most people would go, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, I'm not fighting with that dude. He's the devil himself. Nope, he's just crazy." Well, that's and it, it kept a lot of people away. It's crazy. It really is. Yeah. Um, 
the scare tactic, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where they, the, uh, you prove, it's like a bully tactic where, you know, you prove to the bully you ain't going to take a shit and you stand up to him. He, he isn't going to, you're not going to be on his list of people to try and bully anymore, you know, because he knows you're going to give him a trouble. So the best thing for you to do in, 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 uh, in the position of a Vlad is create that fear right off the bat, you know what I mean? But maybe you went a little too far. I'm sure he did some really bad things. Well, there was one uh, famous incident where um, I think it was a monk or a priest was visiting and they did not remove their hat. I don't know if it was either quick enough or the head covering. And he got upset because they didn't weren't showing him respect. Yeah. So he had him restrained and they nailed his hat to his head. Yikes! That's uh, that's an extremist right there. I thought now you you know everybody else in that room was ripping off everything they had wig hat who knows what and getting on their knees right away, and that was just the word. Don't mess with this guy. I, I thought you were gonna say he cut off his head, so I guess you got to give him some credit. I, he was he was being a little creative there, you know. I <laughs> think I'll just nail that cap right down on onto your head and see if uh, try and take it off now. See. Yeah, it could have been thumbtacks for all we know. You know how you know how word carries throughout the ages. Uh, I don't know. Thumbtacks just don't have the same effect. Now, if he, like nails would uh, could quite possibly kill the man. Well, you know, tapping a little bit there just to teach him a lesson. The original, the originator of the pinhead character—that's where it came from. From Hellraiser, uh, the nails in the head. Yeah, that's uh, something. I assume that that would be, you know, once they got like those medieval times when they were doing all those torture things. I'm sure that you get some really horrific stuff. Maybe one day we'll we'll dive into that horror, the horror of all the uh, the different things they attempted to break people with, you know. But his reputation for being bloodthirsty. Yeah. Uh, notice that bloodthirsty mm-hmm. and uh, totally ruthless. Uh, crazy, instilling fear in everybody, and there were his enemies called him the devil, or in league with the devil. Mm. You got a perfect character to be able to spin into a vampire. Blood, devil, okay. Let's make him the, the king of the vampires. He's a blood, he eats your blood, he drinks your blood, he he lives off it, and it was, just became part of his reputation, and yeah. was spun into a different story later on. Yeah, I mean it is. There was also a lady, right? A queen that used to bathe in blood, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah, there was one. Maybe related. Don't know. Don't remember who she was. I remember the story. She used to claim it kept her young and youthful and her skin beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, yeah, but Vlad was probably the most famous one, you know, known as Vlad the Impaler, like you said. Um, he was a uh, void of Wallachia three times between 1448 and his death. He was often considered one of the most important rulers in Wallachian history and a national hero of Romania. Now, there's no Transylvania. Transylvania is the world famous where these uh, where they come from. I'm sure we'll tap into that. If we don't tap into that throughout this process, remind me to tap a little more into it. Um, he was the second son of Vlad Dracul, who became the ruler of Wallachia in 1436. Vlad and his younger brother Radu were held as hostages in the Ottoman Empire in the 1442 to secure their father's loyalty. 
so they were kind of used as uh, yeah. I think when you when you use like a, bar- a bargaining chip, you know, um, I think when when you're in a situation like that, that does something to you where you don't quite know if you're going to survive. Because maybe if the father said, "Hey, you know what? I'd rather my my power or whatever you want from me is more important than my children," then they would have been dead, no doubt. Um, the, the, but al- uh, also, you got to figure those children being held and probably not under the most pleasant circumstances developed developed a very strong hate for the people who are holding them captive, and they did. Vlad felt no no qualms at all about getting revenge. Hence the impaling, just to kind of look what I can do when you mess with me. Yeah, I mean, his father and elder brother, uh, Mercy, were murdered after the John Hanayan died. Regent governor of Hungary invaded Wallachia in 1447. Um, second cousin, Vladislav II, uh, became the new voivod. So it's almost like family took over uh, on his turf. Um, yeah, craziness, and, you know. He broke into the Wallachian with the Ottoman support in October, but uh, Vladislav returned and Vlad sought refuge in the Ottoman Empire before the end of the year. Uh, relations between them deteriorated, as you would imagine. And, uh, you know, he came into conflict with the the Transylvanian Saxons, so uh, maybe that's where things come into play a little bit. Um, well, I mean, Transylvania is a part of Romania, right? It's in there, lodged up in there? I think so. Yeah. Who supported his opponents. Um, peace was restored in 1460. Um, and then the, the Ottoman Sultan, Mehmed II, ordered Vlad to pay homage to him personally. But Vlad had the Sultan's two envoys captured and impaled. In February 1462, he attacked Ottoman territory, massacring tens of thousands of Turks and Bulgarians. Mehmed launched a campaign against Wallachia to replace Vlad with Vlad's younger brother, Radu. Vlad attempted to capture the Sultan at Twargvist during the night of 16 and 17 of June 1462. The Sultan and the main Ottoman army left Wallachia, but more and more Wallachians deserted to Radu. Vlad went to Transylvania to seek assistance from Matthias Cornivis, king of Hungary, in late 1462, but Convinius had him imprisoned. So he goes to Transylvania in seek of help, and he's imprisoned. Uh, Vlad was held in captivity in Visregard from 1463, to uh, 1475. During this period, antidotes about his cruelty started to spread in Germany and Italy. He was released at the request of Stephen uh, III of Moldavia in the summer of 1475. He fought in the uh, Carivinus army against the Ottomans in Bosnia in early 1476. Hungarian and Moldavian troops helped him to force Basarab, Laosha, who had dethroned Vlad's brother Radu to flee to Wallachia in November. Uh, Basarab returned with Ottoman support before the end of the year. Vlad was killed in battle before uh, January 10th, uh, 1477. Books describing Vlad's cool acts were among the first bestsellers in German-speaking territories. In Russia, popular stories suggested that Vlad was able to strengthen several government only through applying brutal punishment, and a similar view was adopted by most 
Romanian historians in the 19th century. Vlad's reputation for cruelty and his uh, patronomic inspired the name of the vampire Count Dracula. You know, which, as you know, character from Bram Stoker's 1897 gothic horror film, gothic horror film, gothic horror horror novel, Dracula. He is considered to be both the uh, prototypical and the archetypical vampire in subsequent works of fiction. Yeah, so he's kind of... He's kind of like the deal, you know what I mean? So Vlad is the deal that brought on the deal that know, that everybody today knows as Dragula, or the vampire, the whole vampire deal. So he comes from a little bit of, uh, yeah, there was a lot of vengeance and blood in his path, in his wake, you know what I mean? It was kind of common in that time. Um, I was working on my genealogy, and I forgot which period it is, but it's very close to that time. Mm-hmm. Um, in that re- in that region, uh, where I had there was a family, and then one son uh, tried to overthrow his father, and then he got killed, and the two other sons and the mother, my ancestor being one of those sons, had a revolt against the father, and then they were successful. But my character had his mother and his brother killed. I mean, there were some nasty people. It was the way they lived back then. And right. Dracul, he was he was just uh, the most famous of a bunch of a re- really, really sick group of people. Yeah, you know, he was... Uh, the Ottomans cut his body into pieces after they killed him. And uh, his head was sent to Mehmed II. So I guess Mehmed II uh, won that beef. You know what I mean? That uh, you know that little uh, that little personal battle that was brewing between those two kind of came to a head, literally. You know what I mean? <laughs> came and, to a head. I yeah. like that. You like that? And there's there, you know, so his body was in multiple. There, he has no no burial place because who knows where any of them wound up. When you're given a gift back in the day. You put that on display, you know, what do they do? When somebody gives you a gift, it's like, talk about, like, a gift you don't want, like a secret, like a, like a uh, re-gifting type situation or, like, some type of, uh, you know, somebody gives you a head as a sign of respect because that person usually done you wrong or uh, maybe it was somebody you were in cahoots with that did somebody else wrong and somebody wanted to let you know that, hey, I know that, uh, yeah, I know that you were in cahoots with this person, and here's their head, so you better play straighter. Who's gonna sit? Who's gonna get your head? That's what the, que- that's the question mark on the letter, on the telegram. Who's getting your head? You know what I mean? That's how people know they gotta fly straight when they got that head in that telegram. Well, yeah, it was uh, actually it's fairly common. I know in England, yeah, um, they used to put the head the head on the stake of the defeated enemy to show all the other enemies don't mess with me. Yeah. This is what happens, and they would leave them up there uh, until it pretty much rotted away. It was a common thing: uh, behead them and display it, so the people knew, "Don't fool around, do not mess with me." And it was a way of uh, whether it's sending ahead or whether it's uh, putting it up on a stake. It's saying, "I'm badass. Leave me alone." Oh, for sure. Uh, the same reason why I do it to this day, Ray. You know what I mean? Um, 
I wonder, like in that realm, it's like if they're if you're giving a head, what was more what was more disrespectful? You think putting it up on the pike or throwing it in a big a pile of the town shit? I assume it'd be the town shit, but yeah, if you want to scare people, you put it up on the pike. If you want to disgrace, you know, the body, so to speak, and really like you know show that you have no you have no respect for this person as 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 anything, then you kind of defoul it, you know. Same way, like, serial killers do their their victims sometimes, unfortunately. I can see where, since Vlad was never buried, um, I can see where the legend of coming back to life came from, because uh, he may have been torn apart, uh, cut up into pieces, but the whole idea, someone may have come up with the idea, they did that because he was too powerful, uh, killing him wasn't enough, or someone else said... Well, might say that, well, you know, he went back into the earth and then rose again. He's evil. So yeah. that not being buried, not having a body thing, leaves it wide open hmm. for legends. Dismembered, yeah. Kind of like, the, you got to, you know, to kill a zombie, you got to cut it all up sometimes. Because it'll keep coming. So you got to try and cut off the head to kill it, and then if that don't kill it, you got to cut it up so, like, it ain't all together and can create havoc. Crazy, you know. So then, in something like that, of course, would create a ghost, you know, because now you got the whole the whole take on how when bodies aren't fully together, that's when you know the spirit can't transcend because it needs it wants the body fully intact. What's your take on that? There are quite a few cultures uh, over in Asia. Mm-hmm. in the Far East, where if the body's not buried intact, the, fear, the spirit doesn't rest. So that's, that's common in different parts of the world. And that also can could have traveled over. And again, if it goes back to Vlad, the, the body not being uh, buried, his being dismembered, his spirit didn't rest. Yeah. And that lived on and did more evil. Truth. Believe it. I believe that to be true. You know, uh, the stories about Vlad made him the best-known medieval ruler of the Romanian lands in Europe. However, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which uh, we probably, like I said, published in 1897, was the first book to make the connection between Dracula and vampirism. Stoker had his attention drawn to the blood-sucking vampires of Romanian folklore by Emily Gerald's article about Transavilian superstitions. Uh, his limited knowledge about the medieval history of Wallachia came from William Wilkinson's book entitled Account of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia with Political Observations Relative to Them. That's quite a title of a book, published in 1820. Stoker apparently did not know much about Vlad the Impaler. Certainly not enough uh, for us to say that Vlad was the inspiration for Count Dracula. According to Elizabeth Miller, for instance, Stoker wrote that Dracula had been of Zekeli origin, only because he knew about both Attila the the Hun... The, uh, Till the Hun's destructive campaigns and the alleged Hunnic origin of Savakils. Stoker's main source, Wilkinson, who accepted the, uh, the relatability of the German stories, described Vlad as a wicked man 
Actually, Stoker's working papers for his book contain no reference to this historical figure. The name of the character uh, being named in all draughts, but the later ones count Wampire. Consequently, Stoker borrowed the name in scraps of miscellaneous information about the history of Wallachia when writing his book about Count Dracula. So, yeah, right there kind of even says it kind of, you know, even, it might not even be, uh, the Bram Stoker book. I mean, definitely influences were paid and such, you know what I mean, but it's more of a, not such a direct representation. Well, there are, uh, in different cultures, stories about creatures that live not only off of the blood, but off of the energy, or live off others. Yeah. And to apply that, to use uh, Vlad, or Lisa's name, and a location to write that story, it kind of makes sense. It ties into all of the all of that lore and all of those fears. Yeah. You know, you know, a vampire is a creature from folklore that subsists by feeding on the vital essence, generally in the form of blood, of the living. In European folklore, vampires are undead creatures that often visited loved ones and caused mischief or death in the neighborhoods they inhibited while they were alive. Uh, they wore shrouds and were often described as bloated and of ruddy or dark countenance. Uh, markedly different from today's gaunt, pale vampire, which dates from the early 19th century. Vampiric entities have been recorded in most cultures, the term vampire was popularized in Western Europe after reports of an 18th century mass hysteria of pre-existing folk beliefs in the Balkans and Eastern Europe that in some cases resulted in corpses being stalked, staked and people being accused of vampirism. Local variants in Eastern Europe were also known by the different names such as Shitegra in Albania, Vrykolaklas in Greece, and Strigo in Romania. In modern times, the vampire is generally held to be a fictitious entity, although belief in similar vampiric cultures such as the Chubacabra still persists in some cultures. Early folk believe in the vampires has sometimes been ascribed to the ignorance of the body's process of decompose, decom, ah, decomposition after death and how people in pre-industrial societies tried to rationalize this, creating a figure of the vampire to explain the mysteries of death. Uh, Porphyria was linked with legends of vampiri vampirism in 1985, that's pretty recent, and received much media exposure, but has since been largely discredited. Are you familiar with uh, Porphyria at all? No, the name's familiar, but I'm not familiar with the story. Uh, it's a group of liver disorders, and which substance is called porphyrins built up in the body negatively affecting the skin or nervous system. Uh, the types that affect the nervous system are also known as acute porphyria. Maybe this is a blood thing that, like, uh, yeah, so it's a blood deal. They think that this, uh... They think this blood situation, like this blood problem, is late links people to vampirism, which is an interesting take, you know, from 1985. And then and talking about it, then it's like, it's almost like uh, even as modern as that is, they're trying to kind of justify 
the the whole folklore of it, you know what I mean? The charismatic and sophisticated vampire of modern fiction was born in 1819, you know, with the publication of The Vampire by English writer John Podori. The story was highly successful and arguably the most influential vampire work of the early 19th century. Um, 1840, uh, 1897's novel Dracula, of course, has... That the, you know, remembered as the quintessential, quintessential vampire novel, um, but not so. You know, the the success, and uh, even though it was published after Sheridan's Le Fouineau's 1872 novel Camellia, um, which is very you know up there. It's a that's an 1872 Gothic novella by Irish author Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu and one of the early works of vampire fiction, predating uh, Bram Stoker's Dracul by 26 years. There you go. So he's you know, probably influenced you know, a fan. Uh, the success of this book spawned a distinctive vampire genre, in popular, uh, still popular in the 21st century with books, films, and television, you name it. Yeah, I don't think, the, I don't think vampires will ever go away. What do you think about that? I think they're kind of... Enrooted in our our minds and culture and hearts and everything and fears uh, forever for the long haul. What do you think? I agree. Uh, the idea that something, uh, another person or some beast or demon. Uh, when I say beast, you're talking like chubacabra or right. there are uh, there are others. When something can come along and suck the life out of you, that's just a fear that's not going to go away. Whether they do it through your blood or through your energy or how they take that life out of you no that that's going to stay with culture for a long time until we learn to not fear death then uh it would if we ever were to reach that point yeah then uh, it wouldn't be effective but until that point comes in a foreseeable future i see that people will be afraid of something coming out of the dark over there and sucking the life out of you and add in that now after they've done that you become this lifeless thing that does it to something else, someone else. So it's kind of like a great nightmare, and that's why it works so well in books and in movies. It's very parasitic. It's like a disease that you can't, you get passed on, you know what I mean? But it, yeah. A disease that looks at you in human form, and that's a scary part. And then it gets you, and it's, it's parasite-like, you know, almost like a cancer. It feeds off you, and then you eventually become consumed by it, and what you have to do is you have to feed. Now it's this. You have to feed it within yourself. You know what I mean? Dark. Yeah, you be, you become the new parasite. You become the new virus. You become the new uh, the new killer there. And that goes against a lot of people uh, what they believe and how they live to become that. And yeah. you, also, they added no escape because they're immortal mm -hmm. unless it's a brutal death. Yeah. So. It just gets worse and worse as the legend builds, mm -hmm. and it works very well as a legend. I agree, for sure. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. Um, we also got, um, you know, the the etymology. The Oxford English Dictionary dates the first appearance uh, in 1734. Travels of three English gentlemen published the Harleian Miscellany which is a collection of material from the library of Earl of Oxford, an early Mortimer collated and edited 
You know, it's like an old-timey little, uh, little fucking trash mag, trash rag going around there, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it was a big deal, you know. Exhuming body, people actually started exhuming bodies and killing vampires after this article, or after this, this was published, um, this book, this Travels of Three English Gentlemen. So if you want to get a get yourself in trouble on a Saturday night, you go find that book. You open that up and see where it goes, see where it takes you. You know what I mean? A lot of old Slavic stuff in here. A lot of that old-timey stuff, old country stuff, you know. Not just old country. It comes from a, a tough part of the, you know, old world, old world rather. It comes from an old, like, tough part of the world, too. It wasn't not a... Not really quite an easy place to come up, come up in, I feel, you know. You know, but it's been around for millennia. Cultures, you know, Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks, Manipuri, the Romans, they all had tales of demons and spirits which are considered uh, precursors to modern vampires, despite the occurrence of vampiric creatures in the ancient civilizations. Folklore uh, for the entity known today as a vampire originates mostly exclusively from 18th century East, uh, Southeastern Europe, with verbal traditions of many ethnic groups of the, the region where recorded and published. In most cases, vampires, revenants, and evil beings, suicide victims, or witches, but they can also be created by malevolent spirit possessing a corpse or being bitten by a vampire. Belief in such legends became to be persuasive in that area is that it caused mass hysteria and even public executions of people believed to be vampires. So we're going back to those witches, the witch trial type stuff. That had to deal with that. We also know that, like, with the werewolf, like, you know, skinwalker stuff, we got into that. You know, a lot of those people were accused of werewolves and they'd tie them up and it would be, you know, the full moon would leave and they'd be fine and they'd let them go. But yeah, you know, it's it's... All it's it's crazy. It's like all these like literature created these beings, and they read them in books, and they were they they society took them to be true and said, well, they gotta be. These things have to be real, and then you know that's when they start pointing at the people that are kind of a little off in town, a little weird, aren't quite like them, and say, there's a witch, there's a fucking dracul, there's a dracul right there by the grocery store, you know what I mean, and. uh they kill them off, you know. It's kind of, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, attacking the different is uh, common. It's unfortunate, but it, it's common. And these stories just gave them an excuse to, <clears throat> excuse me, an excuse to attack certain people. And I, I've heard of, like, suicide victims becoming vampires before because of the act and such. Because they look down on the act, you know, religion does. But I've never heard of possession of a dead body where a vampire... Or a spirit just possesses a dead body and becomes a vampire. I would associate the possession part of it more of a demonic thing, an evil yeah. entity possessing the dead body, using it. Um, and they may use it to uh, drain the energy and drain the life force out of others. Uh, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the same person coming back. <coughs> mm. We have some interesting things on how people think they're created. Um, you know, creating vampires. The cause of a vampiric generation were many and varied. Uh, in original folklore, 
in Slavic and Chinese tradition, any corpse that was jumped over by an animal, particularly a dog or a cat, was feared to become one of the undead. Are you familiar with that, right? <clears throat> no, not at all. That's a new one for me. I know that the Chinese feel weird about the pictures, right? They think it takes your soul. I think. Uh, I that. Yeah, that, that's that's more of an Asian thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, a body with a wound that had not been treated with boiling water was also at risk. Uh, in Russian folklore, vampires were said to have once been witches or people who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church while they were alive. Yeah, I like how the church says whoever is not with them is bad news. Um, cultural practices often arose that were intended to prevent a recently deceased loved one from turning into an undead revenant. Burying a corpse upside down was widespread as was placing earthly objects such as siths and sickles near the grave to satisfy any demons entering the body or to appease the dead so that it would not wish to arise from its coffin. Now, them trying to appease demons is probably not the best of ideas to do, right? Or what do you say about that? I think it's odd that whether it's demons or the dead rising, why would you place potential weapons, weapons that they could uh, grab and grab and use near their grave. It's like the, gr the Grim Reaper. That, yeah, that does that does not make sense. It's like here, let let's let's put this uh sword down here and if it rises from the from the dead it will be afraid. Oh hell no, it's not afraid. It's gonna grab that sword to go after you. I like they were they were trying to be courteous. They were thinking, you know, the Grim Reaper is so busy he doesn't get a chance to get out to like Walmart or Home Depot to get a new sickle. So we'll just leave them one. You know what I mean? They're going for like brownie points or something. I don't know. Yeah, brownie points never work with the dark side. That's true. No matter how dark they got. Uh, the, the method resembles the ancient Greek practice of placing an obulus in the corpse's mouth to pay the tolls to cross the river Styx. Yeah, the river Styx, well, that's an interesting thing. We should rock an episode on that. You know, In Greek mythology, uh, Styx is the deity and a river that forms the boundaries between Earth and the underworld. It has been argued that, uh, instead, the coin was intended to ward off any evil spirits from entering the body, and this may have influenced later vampire folklore. Now, these coin, like, it's like they put a lot of faith in, in material possessions again, maybe, because why would you, why would you need real, why would you, need worldly money to pay pay a spiritual toll. I never understood that one. It's the world they lived in. I guess so. Yeah. That was it. I mean, you you got to pay this person, otherwise you don't cross and you're stuck in this world. And what do you pay him with? Well, in this world, at least, it's got to be money. I think they did that because the, I think that was started because the people that actually bury the bodies take the coins. What do you think about yeah. that? We've been thinking about that corruption. Uh, oh, definitely. Makes sense. Uh, grave, grave robbing's been around for a long time. That's a possibility. You know, not even digging them up, just straight up before you put them in the dirt, just like plucking those, plucking them up. I could see them, I could see like the, the mortician or whatever, the, you know, the, the graveyard people starting that rumor so they can, because uh, you got to figure that we're going back to a time when those coins were actually probably a decent chunk of change. 
Well, considering, uh, who knows, maybe a single coin back there might feed a family for a month. Right. You know, um, the tradition persisted in modern Greek folklore about the Viracolius, in which a wax cross and a piece of pottery with the inscription, Jesus Christ Conquers, were placed on the corpse to prevent the body from becoming a vampire. So they were, like, very worried about vampires, like people coming back as vampire. Something that's definitely been lost on the current, like, and there ain't nobody worrying about people coming back as vampires nowadays, you know what I mean? Well, nowadays, then again, we embalm them, so, you know, that's a, uh, that kind of takes a lot of their ability to get up out of it, since they rip their insides out and do all that other stuff to them. I always thought it would be yeah. really cool if, Never mind vampires. If you want to prevent zombies, what you do is when you put them in a casket, you tie their shoelaces together. Ah, that's that way they they can't chase you. They're falling down all the time, so you, you know, it's an automatic getaway. <laughs> that's true, though. You're right. You're, you're, I think you're onto something. I think we could we could solve that whole zombie world uh, problem by just starting to tie everybody's shoes together when they die when they go off. Other method, other commonly practiced in Europe methods uh, include severing the tendons at the knees, or placing poppy seeds, millet, or sand on the ground at the gravesite of a presumed vampire. This was intended to keep the vampire occupied all night by counting the fallen grains. They they must leave a really boring life for a vampire. Um, uh, I'm thinking, you know, wow, vampires get OCD. I That's know. cool. And they they stop and they have to recount and get all aggravated. Oh, look at those seeds! I gotta count them now. Yeah. Damn. Indicating an association of vampires with arrhythmomania, uh, similar to Chinese narratives, state that if a vamp- vampiric being came across a sack of rice, it would have to count every grain. This is a theme encountered in myths from the Indian subcontinent, as well as in South American tales of witches and other sorts of evil or mischievous spirit beings. I know that the leprechaun, the folklore with that in the movies, at least, I don't know if it's real life, but he has to, like, shine shoes, so if he's running at you, I know there's a scene where he's running at him and they throw throw their shoes at him and he has to stop to, like, shine them. Well, then, uh, Imelda Marcos had it right with her 30,000 pair of shoes in there in case any leprechauns came around. Hell yeah. You got that right. You don't want to deal with no leprechaun. Nope. Leprechauns are interesting. We'll get, we'll, we'll save that for, uh, St. Patrick's Day next year. Oh, I can slow them down pretty good because all I own is boots and they take a while to polish up right. That's true. And then you put the foliage clover on the bottom when they grab it. Uh, in Albanian folklore, the Dahampire, which I'll just say is D-H-A-M-P-I-R. If I wasn't such a serial killer of words, it may, it'd be so much better, I feel. The audience is all shaking their head, yeah. Is the hybrid child of the uh, Karakanizul, a, a lycanthropic creature with an iron male shirt. So we're talking about a werewolf with an iron male shirt. Um, And by male, of course, we're talking about a type of armor consisting of small metal rings linked together in a pattern to form a mesh. You know, for anybody trying to get a visual, it's in those, you know, medieval movies where they have, like, 
around their neck and such so they can move, but they won't quite get chopped. You know what I mean? Um, they look very heavy, but they look very cool. Yeah, they look like on a cool, on a hot day, to get some cool metal on your back would be nice. You know what I mean? Um, now, identifying vampires is also something good to know when people have multiple, you know, different opinions on and some of those are the fact, you know, many rituals were used to identify a vampire. One method of finding a vampire's grave involved leading a virgin boy, this is very Jeffrey Epstein already, um, virgin boy through a graveyard or a church ground on a virgin stallion. So you need a virgin boy and a virgin horse, huh? Oh my, this sounds like a very, like we're going down a, the wrong road here. Uh, the horse, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The, the horse would supposedly back at the grave in question. Now that's B-A-L-K. I guess that's whatever noise horses make. Uh, uh, generally, a black horse was required. Very racist. Though in Albania, it should be white. Even more racist. Holes appearing in the earth are over a grave uh, were taken as a sign of vampirism. So, if you had a hole over your grave, I guess, then you'd be a, you'd be a vampire. I mean, that would be a good sign, realistically. If every movie I've ever seen told me the truth about vampires. Um, well, as far as that hole, if you go to medieval times, there are quite a few graves that had holes because the fear of being buried alive, what they used to do is they used to make a small hole, hole sometimes with a tube in it, yeah. run a string run a string up and put a small bell on a stick hmm. and uh they would hire somebody uh for several days they would hire somebody there to sit and listen if the bell rang they would dig it up because the person was it was a premature burial they were buried alive now if you didn't fill that hole back in uh once that was done with then you got the holes over the grave and that person now turns into a vampire Mm. But you could also say, you know, for whom the bell tolls, whatever. Truth. Yeah, I mean, what a what a bogus! Imagine paying somebody, and they a couple hours before they were going to wrap up, they cut out early, and then now it's like when you came to. I'm sure that's happened. Uh, yeah, yep. Somebody who didn't show up or slept through the night, whatever it happened to be, and you wake up, you're pulling on that string, and no one's there to answer the call. That's terrible. Maybe even it was intentional. They want to get them out of the picture. Ghosts are made. That's how ghosts are made. Uh, corpses thought to be vampires were generally described as having a healthier appearance than expected, plump and showing little to no signs of decomposition. In some cases, when the suspected graves were opened, villagers even described the corpse as having fresh blood from the victim all over its face, which I assume to be their lips probably starting to decay. Uh, evidence that a vampire was active in a given locality included death of cattle, sheep, relatives or neighbors. Folkloric vampires could also make the presence felt by engaging in minor poltergeist-style activity, such as hurling stones on roofs or moving household objects. Impressing people in their sleep. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about that last part. Um, 
Have you heard anything about like minor poltergeist style activity? I, you know, I don't know how you'd be able to decipher the two. It's almost like they just threw that in there to go with. I think it's more to me. It sounds more of a scare tactic added to the uh, legend. Yeah, uh, something to justify anything un- unusual happening, so that they could uh, point a finger at somebody. Yeah, as we roll through this, this stuff is definitely coming more uh, coming off like definitely folklore, not reality. It's just, you know, they might some people might have really wanted to believe this uh, stuff, this vampire stuff. But they're really kind of pulling, I think, um, to try and make this happen. There, you know, um, you, you know, the protection. You know, there are certain things that you could do for protection, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. Hurling stones, to go back to that other thing with the poltergeist thing. Hurling stones is like, that's a Bigfoot thing too, you know what I mean? I think that's just kind of any type of attention-making thing. If you were trying to get somebody's attention, you'd want to hurl stones. And it's also, realistically, the most common thing for another human to do if they're trying to freak you out, you know what I mean? Well, some of these legends also being very old... Um, if you go into medieval times, not many people were even allowed to have weapons. And stones, uh, slings were used as weapons. I know the uh, Greeks used them in wartime. So, you know, if you were uh, you were poor people and the only weapon you had maybe was a knife to uh, cut your meat with or something, then, yeah, something's throwing stones at you. It's attacking you. Um, that's the poor man's weapon. And I know this isn't Bigfoot related uh, to go, but we talked about Bigfoot with this before. And realistically, with the hand of a Bigfoot, you wouldn't the, the stones you would be throwing would probably be doing some damage or some like some real shit, some real boom, you know, maybe breaking pieces off of your house. Just stones is a kind of stones. I don't know. I can't get I can't get caught up on the stones of these folks, but. Um, you know, there's there's ways to protect. People also feel about there's multiple ways to protect themselves from dragoon or vampiric situations. Uh, the Apotree PX. Items able to ward off revenants are common in vampire folklore. Garlic, you know, is a big common example. You know, uh, garlic has always been there. Do you know why exactly garlic, you know... Has, what is a problem for them? Do you know what, what? I didn't get any research info on why it's a problem for them. There was a couple other things that were kind of foodish that war that was a problem for uh, Dracul. I don't know specifically why garlic. I mean, I know it has a strong smell. Yeah, um, I like garlic. Uh, so do I. I guess that, you know, you eat a lot of garlic and a vampire shows up just burping his face. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's garlic, I, I have no idea. I've never looked into... I know it's good for you. It helps yeah. the blood, except It helps the blood, etc. But I got no idea why it would be bad for vampires. Well, maybe that's just like kind of the, the, the hearsay. If it's good for your blood, then they take it as being bad for vampires, you know. It's almost like one of those things when... A kid didn't want to eat the eat, eat garlic, and the grandmother was like, "You know that keeps away the the dracules. You know that, right?" So yeah, said, that okay. would work. Now they get, eat, now, get, yeah. get the kid to eat his garlic. Yeah. 
Also, is a branch of wild rose and a hawthorn are said to harm vampires. And in Europe, sprinkling mustard seeds on the roof of a house was said to keep them away. Are you, are you familiar with any of this? No, not at all. No, I know I haven't heard anything about our sage, which usually makes an appearance in situations like this. But I thought was that was ward off anything, the sage. Uh, sage is usually negative spirits. Yeah. Um, these being the living dead or, you know, someone who died and came back, uh, I don't think the sage would work. Even, like, to take away the, like, I believe more in, like, uh, I believe more of, like, a weird cult of people that were going around, you know, maybe killing people and drinking their blood than I really would of people that turn into bats and shit, you know what I mean? Oh, transform, <laughs> transforming also, uh, that, that shares with the, uh, everything, yeah. The, the wolf, uh, yeah. the werewolf, and, you know, to be able to transform yourself. Um, but the drinking of the blood, blood is symbolic of life and the life force, so that's easy to see why a vampire would drink blood or why that would be in a legend. Uh, transforming, uh, another mysterious thing, you can't catch it, it gets away, all of that stuff. And people were at one time afraid of bats. Mm. So Parody. they put the, the, the wolf was already taken with a werewolf, so they used the bat. Well, the, berry, the bat carries disease too, right? Which is kind of like the whole vampire thing. Uh, some do, probably more prevalent back then. Yeah. But right now, um, I guess it depends on where you live in the world. I know that uh, I've lived in places where people actually put up little bat houses. Mm. And the reason they do it is, number one, the bats around here don't have disease. and But the main reason is bats are notorious for eating mosquitoes. Yeah. They That's devour true. the bugs. And it's kind of, you want to get rid of bugs? Forget chemicals. Put a little bat house out, up in your backyard. They will leave you alone and they'll be devouring every mosquito comes through. And mosquitoes is the closest thing to a vampire that we can think of, really. They're bloodsuckers, and they can, they can uh, transmit disease. Yeah. And they fly like a bat. It's true. Uh, some other uh, other sacred items, the, the crucifix, which everybody knows is a very famous thing, the rosary, you know, religious things, and the holy water big... <laughs> They're also, you know, vampires are also said to be unable to walk on consecrated ground, you know, churches, temples, uh, or running water. What's the, uh, what's your take on the running water aspect of it? Uh, not solid ground, running water. Water is a conduit for spirits. Yeah. Uh, so it, it could be that the, the spiritual energy held in the water repels the vampire. So, like, would it be unable to travel, like, a, by boat? Or is this just me and it just can't physically walk like G, like a Jesus thing? Um, It might have some difficulty on a boat. Yeah. Or be very, un, very uncomfortable, but it would need yeah. that, a pretty big ship to be able to travel, I would think. I've seen a few movies where they've brought Dracul over in a boat. Yeah, he's usually, uh, in those movies, I think he's resting in his coffin, which has his native soil in the bottom of it. Yep. Planes, too, yeah. Um, he's got to get to America somewhere. The land of opportunity, even for Dracul's. Um, 
you know, although not traditionally regarded uh, as an apotropriac, mirrors have been used to ward off vampires when placed facing outwards on a door. Uh, In some cultures, vampires do not have a reflection and sometimes do not cast a shadow, perhaps as a manifestation of the vampire's lack of a soul. The the, the mirror is a very famous one. This looks like it's almost like they're trying to say you could... uh, keep them away with mirrors, where I never I never knew that the mirror was a keep-away thing. I knew, you know, it was a way to identify if you see, you know, if someone was in question. You know, that's a tactic I've always known <coughs> about mirrors in vampires through the movies, you know. Well, mi- mirrors originally had, the backing used on mirrors oh, originally the was, was the silver. Yeah. And the silver repels e- is, uh, can repel evil. So with a silver backing on the in an old mirror, you wouldn't see the uh, you wouldn't see the vampire, and it could repel it when it doesn't. It looks and it feels the energy from that silver coming. It doesn't come into your house. They have to be invited to begin with, but uh, that's one part of the law. But uh, current mirrors don't use silver, so I don't know if that would hold up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more, that one might be a little more folklore or carried on by the filmmaker. You know, people that make films and books and all that stuff might be the people kind of keeping that that one going. Uh, some traditions also hold the vampire, hold that the vampire cannot enter a house unless it is invited by the owner. Another very common thing in the folklore, of, at least in film and TV and such. After the first investi- invitation, they can come and go as they please. Uh, though folkloric vampires were believed to be more active at night, they were not generally considered vulnerable in sunlight. So right there kind of touches with that whole thing of, you know, the, the wel- welcoming thing, which we all know from, uh, you know, your common vampire folklore. And, uh, but yeah, right here it says that, you know, the sunlight wasn't exactly, uh, they weren't bursting in the flames. Yeah, I think that the bursting in the flames thing is more of the uh, Hollywood uh, version of it. Yeah. That does add to it. So, like, realistically, the, the Dracul, uh, they could come out and... I wonder if they'd be weakened by the sunlight or if it would have just no effect on them whatsoever. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's not surprising that they can move around during the day, though, because... Uh, they once inhabited a body that was suited for that, so why wouldn't they be able to? Yeah, true. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that. So then, that if that inhabiting a body would that it would be it would be possession. That's what that would be. Uh, it would be possession. The vampire coming back. I don't consider uh, rising from the grave. I don't consider that vampire to be the original person. It is, uh, in my mind, it is something else that's warped. But, um, yeah, a body that functions well in the sunlight normally, just because a person's a vampire, why would the sun bother it? Well, for folklore has taught us that, it, that it, for whatever reason, it, that burns them. Because they're supposed to be children of the night, I assume. But another thing, Hollywood, Hollywoodized, you know what I mean? Well, the night, uh, darkness, again, you go back to medieval or even before that, uh, darkness in the night held a lot of mysteries and a lot of danger. So yeah. if, it, if it was dangerous, then a vampire becomes a child of the night. 
So you don't think that it, when 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 a, when someone's reborn a vampire, you don't think? I feel like that that's a, it's 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 zombie like where it's the person they've just been infected by something. You don't think that they're you don't you don't feel like it's a. You think it, it's no longer that person? It's almost like they died. Their spirit left the empty vessel, and now this vampire just picks up the, like the suit and throws on the suit. Which does, you know, as I just said it right there, makes it more sense than it did two seconds ago in my brain. But that's what you're going with. Well, I think that once the person, if the person does come back, yeah, um, they're not the same person because now they've crossed a line. They've stepped over a line. They be they themselves have become more uh, demonic, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, they're now walking in darkness or walking with darkness. And so they're not the same person who could have started off life as a normal, loving person. They're now twisted and different, and their objective is to feed off others. So that's not a human as we know it. So to me, they've transformed into something else, not only by physically by the dead rising, but I think spiritually there may be a trace of the original person, but something else has taken over and driven it. This, uh, whether it's, is the lust for blood or someone else's life force or the drive to live forever, even in that twisted form. Yeah. It's true. You know, there's, there's few methods, methods of destruction, um, for these vampires. We'll pop into that a little bit. You know, methods of destroying suspected vampires varied with staking being the most commonly cited method. You know, for everybody out there that doesn't know that, uh, I'm sure there's nobody, but staking is the old stick through the old hot, the old cardiovascular system type uh, death. Ash was the preferred wood in Russia and Baltic states. So it, it, it mattered what kind of wood you were driving through their heart. I didn't know that. I, I had heard that. I'd heard that uh, different woods are more effective. Yeah, aspen uh, was also used for stakes. You know, aspen being uh, commonly called aspen common. Uh, species of uh, popular native cool temperature regions. Kind of like a fern almost. Um, yeah, believe that Christ, it was uh, believed that Christ's cross was made up, made from aspen. Aspen branches on the graves of uh, purported vampires were also believed to prevent their risings at night. Potential vampires were most often staked through the heart, through the mouth, uh, though the mouth was targeted in Russia and northern Germany and the stomach in northeastern Serbia. So that's kind of, yeah, you know, that's, through the mouth is a little more hardcore, you know what I mean? Um, I for sure, I'd have to say, I'd, I, I, the mouth is probably the worst, and then followed up by the heart, and then uh, lastly the stomach. Even though they do, to quote, you know, to, to get into Reservoir Dogs, they say the stomach's the worst worst place to take a shot pain-wise. But, um, I, uh, yeah, I'd have to, uh, yeah, I'd have to say that right through the mouth is a tough one because you don't die right away from the mouth. You know, the, in order for you to die through the mouth, that it would have to go through the roof into your brain, or it would just have to do enough damage that you, ooh, I don't know, you, uh, you let's just say you drowned in uh, fluid that ain't fruit punch, but kind of 
kind of looks like it, I guess. A little lighter version. And nobody wants to drown on their own fruit punch to go out. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I know that. I also know that if you go through the mouth and you hit the spinal column right, that'll sever it. So that uh, that would get there also. Good point. Good point. That is true. Yeah. What about the old triple threat and getting rid of a vampire? You never... All three? uh, Well... (laughs) What one I what I learned is if you want to make sure the vampire is dead and never comes back, the you drive this, you drive the stake through the heart. Yeah. You cut the head off. Yeah. You take the whole thing and burn it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've I've heard that one too. I'm surprised that wasn't in here. Um. Maybe it goes a little deeper. Uh, piercing the skin of the chest was a way of deflating the bloated vampire. Uh, this is similar to the practice of anti-vampire burial, which is burying sharp objects such as sickles with the corpse um, so that they may penetrate the skin if the body bloats sufficiently while transforming into a revenant. So that right there kind of goes with how they left those weapons for the sick, for for like the demons. It's almost like that is that same story, but two different sides to it. Where one is to keep the demons happy, if you will, or whatever, with these weapons, and the other one is that when your body starts to bloat, um, that it punctures yourself and you just leak out in your coffin, which is uh, horrifying in itself. But, um. I guess they thought that was the way to do it. What's your take on that? Well, I could have just buried him in the old torture device called an Iron Maiden, and that yeah. would have taken care of it. That uh, iron coffin, which had all the spikes on the inside, then you don't have to worry about anything. They're pierced all over, mouth, stomach, uh, chest, everything. Well, those coffins were made for torture, right? Or the, oh, they, they were they were made for torture, but they'd be great for uh, yeah. burying a suspected vampire. I was going to say maybe like though they were originally made for something like that, and then they just used them as torture on the living. You never know, you know. A decapitation, like Ray was saying, they like that. They like to get a little decapitation going too. Uh, it was preferred method in Germany in Western Slavic areas, with the head buried between the feet behind the buttocks, uh, or away from the body. This act was seen as a way of hastening the departure of the soul, which in some cultures was said to linger in the corpse. The vampire's head, body, or clothes could also be spiked and pinned to the earth to prevent rising. Interesting. Uh, you think, yeah, it's older times. Clothing, I think, is a little, you don't really need to go that deep into it, but it was older times. Well, the other thing, too, it's easy to spot a vampire if, if you've got this bloodthirsty person running around naked. True. Yeah, but, true. Yeah. And I don't know why spikes through the clothes would hold them down, but uh, it, was another, it was another time. I, I don't understand it completely. I think a lot of it was for, like, like um, symbolic... That didn't really do anything, but it was symbolic, you know. Yeah. Uh, Romani people drove steel or iron needles into a corpse's heart and placed bits of steel in the mouth, over the eyes, ears, and between the fingers at the time of burial. They also placed hawthorn in the corpse's sock or drove a hawthorn stake through the legs. 
In the 16th century burial near Venice, a brick forced into the mouth of a female corpse has been interpreted as a vampire slaying ritual by the archaeologists who discovered it in 2006. Uh, in Bulgaria, over a hundred skeletons with metal objects such, a, such as uh, plow bids uh, embedded in the torso have been discovered. Further measures included pouring boiling water over the grave or complete uh, incineration, of the, in, uh, incineration of the body. In the Balkans, a vampire could also be killed by being shot or drowned by repeating the funeral service. Um, by sprinkling holy water on the body or by exorcism. In Romania, garlic could be placed in the mouth, and as recently as the 19th century, the precaution of shooting a bullet through the coffin was taken. For resistant cases, the body was dismembered and the pieces burned, mixed with water, and administered to family members as a cure. In Saxon regions of Germany, a lemon was placed in the mouth of suspected vampires. Well, that's cute. The lemon one sounds cute. That's for bad breath vampires, yeah. I don't know if I want, like, what was that, body pots mixed with water and fed to the family? Really? Yeah, I don't know. Administered to the family members as a cure. I don't really feel, uh... Well, they've been cooked, at least. Either it was dis- body was dismembered and the pieces burned. They were then mixed with water... Uh, and admit, admit. I assume the ashes were mixed with water, and then the, the family members that were had had a stuffy nose would drink it down. I think that's how it goes. Uh, yeah, to prevent any of the family members for the curse to be carried on, give it to the family members. Yeah. Well, maybe they like a little the the lemon things because they like a little lemon in their iced tea, right? Yeah, could be. So they put the old lemon in the mouth when they then they cook them up and they. Mix them up. How how would you like that for a protein drink, Ray? Should we start pushing that? Maybe we should have commercials for human protein drinks. Like now you not now you're going in that old Soylent Green. Soylent Green. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's that's where you're going with that one there. We should have a commercial for Soylent Green or like the stuff from the horror movie, the stuff. Um, absolutely, I like it. You know. I also wanted to dip a little bit in here with, uh, you know, modern beliefs. Um, you know, some of these in modern fiction, the vampire tends to be depicted as suave, charismatic villain. You know, we all know we all know the types. Despite the general disbelief in vampire ent- uh, entities, occasional sightings of vampires are reported. Vampire hunting societies still exist, but they are largely formed for social reasons. Allegations of vampire attacks swept through Malawi during late 2002 and early 2003. Those were good years, I remember them. With mobs stoning one person to death and attacking at least four others, including Governor Eric Chihuahua, based on the belief that the government was colluding with vampires. You know, when people believe that, you got a problem because the person that would believe that is capable of anything. Um, in early 1970, local press spread rumors that the vampire haunted High, Highgate Cemetery in London 
Amateur vampire hunters flocked at a large numbers to the cemetery. Several books have been written about the case, notably uh, by Sean Manchester, a local man who was among the first to suggest the existence of the Highgate vampire, who later claimed to have exercised and destroyed a whole nest of vampires in the area. Sounds like the Frog Brothers um, from Lost Boys. In January 2005, rumors circulated that an attacker had been bitten and had bitten a number of people in Birmingham, England, fueling concerns about a vampire roaming the streets. Local police stated that no such crime had been reported and that the case appears to be an urban legend. In 2006, you know, well, what do you think about that? Ash, what do you think about that before we go on to the next? I think that uh, in today's society, particularly uh, with the different media outlets, anybody could start any sort of rumor mm. and create their own urban legend. Mm. And it becomes a little difficult to weed through it at times. Right. Um, it would be the perfect uh, excuse, you know, start a legend in one, if you're a vampire, start a legend in one area. Get it disproved and then go back in and take the blood of people. No one's going to believe it the second time. Yeah, it's true. You know, we got uh, in two thousand six, a physics professor at the University of Central Florida wrote a paper arguing that it is mathematically impossible for vampires to exist based on geometric progression. According to the paper, if the first vampire had appeared on January first of sixteen hundred. If it fed once a month, which is less often than what is depicted in films and folklore, and if every victim turned into a vampire, then within two and a half, within two and a half years, the entire human population of the time would have become vampires. In one of the more notable cases, vampir- vampiric entities in the modern age, the Chubacabra, they call him the goat sucker of Puerto Rico in Mexico, is said to be a creature that feeds upon the flesh or drinks the blood of domesticated animals, leading some to consider it kind of a vampire. Uh, Chubacabra hysteria was frequently associated with the deep economic and political crisis, particularly during the mid-1990s. In Europe, where much of the vampire folklore originates, the vampire is usually considered a fictitious being. Many communities may have embraced uh, the revenant for economic purposes, in some cases, especially in small localities, beliefs are still rampant that sightings or claims of vampire attacks occur frequently. In Romania, during February 2004, several relatives of Tom Petri feared that he had become a vampire. They dug up his corpse, tore out his heart, burned it, and mixed the ashes with water in order to drink it. So the, going right back there... Where we were just talking about how would somebody want to do that. These people willingly popped that off in uh, 2004. That's how they got going in 2004. Uh, which I don't think you'd ever see me a raid doing. I think they... Uh, I don't know why one would say... I wonder why they thought that Toma Petri was uh, feared to become a vampire. I don't know, but the uh, belief system has to be pretty strong for them to do that. For sure, yeah, Absolutely. 
in uh, maybe they were just I mean maybe they you added a little bit of old school beliefs in with someone who's actually crazy, legitimately crazy. You could pop into something like that. People can. I uh, wonder. Yeah. I wonder when they drank it. Did they drink it from the skulls of their enemies or just out of a cup? <laughs> they uh, yeah they did it in Dunkin' Donuts cups. It's a, it was very very glamorous situation. You know, one person can talk another group of people into doing anything. That's why you get Charles Manson. Uh, in September slash October of 2017, mob violence in Malawi related to a vampire scare. They killed about six people accused of being vampires. Uh, and this is 2017, folks. It ain't in it ain't over here in America world, but it's in uh, another world, Malawi. Uh, Malawi world was was uh, dealing with this. Um, a similar spay, spat of vi- vigilante violence linked to vampire rumors occurred in 2002. So I don't know if these people... My guess is these people just want to kill some people and call them vampires to try and get away with it. That's my take on it, probably, but uh, it could be whatever. Vampirism and the vampire lifestyle also represents a revenant part of modern-day's occultist movements. The mythos of the vampire... His magical qualities, allure, and predatory archetype express a strong symbolism that can be used in ritual, energy, work, and magic, and can even be adopted as a spiritual system. The vampire has been part of the occult society in Europe for centuries and has spread into the American subculture as well as for more than a decade, being strongly influenced and mixed with neo-Gothic aesthetics you know what I mean it's one of those things but yeah it's a you know it's a it's a crazy deal you know um, so what's your take on vampires let me hear your Frank let me hear let's be frank okay here let's be frank we're gonna boil it all down we'll get to the real the, the nitty-gritty of things right here what does Ray Booten feel about Vampires. Well, if you're talking about the lore and the legend, I have serious doubts about their existence. Yeah. If you're talking about what people would call psychic or energy vampires, that's a whole different thing. I know. Uh, it takes it takes a while to get into, but that's a whole different thing, and I believe that is very real. Yes. And there's even some science to back it up. Oh, I'm with you. Um... We are a good friend of the show, Jeremy Tyke, uh, or Jer Ty, as he goes around in certain communities. We'd always talk about those psychic vampires. So I think we'll do another episode in the soon future um, to talk to do a complete thing on psychic vampires. Me and Ray have worked with a few in our day, so we get our, our hands-on uh, situations with them. But it'll be a, a future episode. But I stand with Ray, and I say, you know what? I don't quite believe in such things as vampires turning into bats, flying around, doing their thing and all that. But I do believe um, that there are culty people out there that would love to be a vampire, that delusionally make themselves believe that they are vampires. And through this, one of the things that they do is I think that they uh, get their hands on some blood. Now, most of the time it's probably animal blood, maybe something they can acquire at a store of some sort, or maybe they 
you know, take, you know, domesticated animals like dogs and cats that they find in the neighborhood. Um, but I think that they, and they get the blood out of them. I think it's more an animal blood, but I would not doubt. And I know for, you know, I know the world's so crazy that I know that there are people out there that drink human blood. And, uh, does it give them powers? I don't think it gives them hepatitis, I think. Um, but I don't think it gives them any type of actual powers over anybody else, uh, or really any powers at all. I think it's just kind of something that, uh, you know, you know, lunatic, crazy people think that they're superheroes all day. So, you know, another delusional person wants to drink blood and think he has superpowers, I guess. What can you do? It is America after all. Uh, it's one of those things. Um, but yeah, I don't believe in an actual one. But the psychic vampires are very real. Uh, they are very much a problem. Those are the vampires that people need to worry about. Uh, and we'll get into that in a, in a future episode. But um, yeah, stay tuned for some future vampiric shit. Um, where those, you know, those mental psychic vampires coming to get your ass. You know what I mean? Ray, you want to say anything else in closing on uh, Dragul Dragula? Uh, no, he was an interesting but ruthless history figure. Yeah. The Bram Stoker's book and the movies are fun. Yeah. Do I fear vampires uh, going out at night? No. Do I believe that uh, there are some needy people out there who have latched on to the legends and modeled their life after it to feel special or important? Yes. Uh, but vampires themselves uh, turning into bats or flying down or trying to uh, suck blood, uh, that's, that's not something that I'm going to believe in. Uh, besides, they'd have a problem with me. I <laughs> love garlic and put it into a lot of food. They'd just take one taste and probably want to heave. It's kind of like, oh, no, a garlic eater. <laughs> Forget him. Yeah, yeah. It's true. You know, I'm with, I'm with you. Yeah, I don't fear. I don't fear no. Uh, let's just say uh, we'll end the show with a nice John Wayne Gacy quote. How's that sound for everybody? This sums up vampires for me. And that quote goes a little something like this. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you have to worry about. All right, folks. And with that, we'll catch you all on the next episode of Mostly, of mostly Ghostly. Ghostly. Ghostly.